Hello, and welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. The goal of this podcast is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their communities. The host of the Organizing for Change podcast is the Coalition Coordinator for Avon, Massachusetts, Amanda Decker. Thank you for listening. Hello, and welcome to the Organizing for Change podcast. My name is Amanda Decker, and our goal today is to equip coalitions, organizations, and individuals to bring change to their community. We're so glad you're here. As this is our first podcast, we wanted to introduce you a little bit to our host, which is me, and give you a little bit of a background about this podcast and the reasons why we're creating it. So here to help me today is our youth liaison, Ed Rand. Hey, Amanda. Thanks for having me. This is uh, kind of fun. Our first podcast. Um, I know I know you are and I am both big fans of podcasts, so thanks everybody for tuning in. Um, we're going to do a little bit of kind of an introduction to what people can hear on this podcast going forward. So let's start by kind of introducing you a little bit because most people listening probably don't know you. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, what, you know, how long you've been doing this work and all that stuff. Sure. So I've been a community organizer for the last 14 years, and I've been working in the 14 years directly with two coalitions, and I'll get a little bit more into what exactly a coalition is, and indirectly with over a dozen coalitions. Um, I grew up in the homeschooled world, so my mom really gave me a love for learning and for teaching myself, and that still is true today, which got me into the whole podcast world. So I'm a frequent podcast listener. One of my little goals in life is to teach myself something new every day. And podcasts are a great way to do that for free. And I really am a student of change. I love to read about change. I love to listen to podcasts about change. I like to just study change, I guess. Also, I became an insta-parent, I guess you could call it, at That's a young a fun age. Term. Yeah, so I look at it, an insta-parent definition is uh, when you marry and you inherit a bunch of kids. So I married my husband, he was a single dad, uh, raising five kids, and I married him uh, 11 years ago and inherited all of his children. One of the things that he did is he ran a, an agency at that time for at-risk teens, and I really saw just kind of the link between the work that I was already involved in. So I was a um, social work student and I got involved in helping him a little bit with his agency and saw a lot of young people who were involved in drugs and alcohol. And I thought, I wish there was a way to kind of do something before all these kids got involved in drugs and alcohol. Yeah and try to see if there could be something that was done there. I didn't even know about anything about prevention or how that worked. I just thought I wish there was something that we could do before because a lot of the young people had so much already on their plate um, by the time they came along to his agency. And I just thought, you know, if we were talking to these kids at 8, 9, 10, right. you know, would their life look different at 14, 15, mm. 16, 17? But... Um, so I guess in kind of what I wanted to learn about at that time then was, is there anything out there that can do this? So I started studying um, different ideas around prevention. And at that same time, 
the state of Massachusetts was doing a lot of work around something called community coalition building yeah. as a method to be able to address uh, substance use. And they told this really neat story that I feel like helps people to understand best about prevention. And they told a story about a young person who was by the river one day and saw a body wash down the river. And they, in their panic, you know, got a bunch of people to rescue the body. And it was just about too late for this person. They ended up dying. A couple of days later, they saw a few more bodies washing down the river. And, you know, some of them were already passed away, but some of them were savable. So they got a bunch of people to perform CPR and bring these people back to health. And the next day, an even bigger slew of bodies. So they began to create all these grand, elaborate rescue missions and also create... Um, hospitals and put all these things together to be able to try to save the bodies and you know help these people that were washing down the river and after spending you know hundreds of thousands of dollars and having great big operations in place to rescue all these people one day another little kid came by and said you know I wonder what's happening up the river mm. that's making all these bodies wash down the river and I think that's really what uh, prevention and using coalitions is all about. It's about in your community, we have in Massachusetts right now um, a huge problem with the opiate epidemic. Yeah. And it's not to say that it's too late to help any of these people, but there's a reason why all this is happening in Massachusetts. And asking people to look up the river and say, is there something that's being done up the river that's causing such an epidemic to happen today? So, really, prevention is all about that. And it's not to say that intervention and treatment aren't very important. I still think those are important. But for me, when I realized at my husband's agency, you know, I could work directly with a few kids over a period of time and really hope that whatever I was doing was working, or I could work with the community at large to change some things and see uh, less kids using in the future, that yeah. to me was more uh, gratifying. So that's kind of how I got introduced to community coalitions and um, have been hooked ever since in doing this kind of work. Yeah, and when you think of the river analogy, it kind of also shows how prevention and intervention and uh, treatment all kind of work together mm -hmm. because you can prevent some and then it makes the work less for the treatment and the intervention part of it. Exactly. So uh, I like that analogy a lot. Um, so let's talk a little bit about our podcast. Uh, you want to give an overview of why you want to start this podcast uh, and what people can expect? Sure. So in this line of work for the last 14 years, um, and also on the side, I've worked a little bit with some other groups, so not just the substance misuse field, but I've also worked with you know my church and I've worked with some smaller agencies. But there's always this moment you have when you're talking with somebody who knows so much more than you and you think, man, I wish I had everyone involved in this project or whatever here to hear this conversation mm -hmm. and hear the things that this person is saying because this is such great information. And, you know, I'm usually in the panic trying to like jot down some notes right. or I hope I remember this later to tell all these people this great information. And I thought a podcast would be a really great way to have those same conversations, but be able to share it with everybody else. Um, and I also thought 
even for myself, sometimes after having that great conversation, you go and you do all these other things and you kind of forget. You know that it was something great that you talked yeah. about, but you don't exactly remember what the great thing was. So even for us as staff here at ACES, which stands for Avon Coalition for Every Student, um, but to be able to go back and listen to some of those uh, key insights that we've heard from some of the people that we plan to interview. Yeah, a way to a pass along other people's years of experience so that people can kind of benefit from it without having to go through the experience themselves. Exactly. And also, something great about podcasts is they're free. Yep. So I love the fact that, you know, anyone around the world will be able to access the same great quality information that I'm hearing for free. Because oftentimes, you know, when it comes to the prevention field and coalitions, there's not a whole lot of dollars that people mm-hmm. start out with. And the opportunity for them to talk to some of these people and hear some of this information doesn't really come until after they have funding and dollars. And so I thought this would be a great opportunity for people who are, you know, interested in bringing change to yep. their communities that they could get some of this schooling, if, if you will, yep. uh, for free. And to know that the issues that you're dealing with in your community are not just your issues. Everybody, uh, other people have dealt with them before, and, and so you don't have to do it alone kind of thing. Exactly. A community, uh, I like that. Um, you want to talk a little bit about what prevention is? So I kind of went over a little bit about uh, prevention before, just explaining looking up the river to see what's happening. And I see prevention really as stopping something or putting a slowdown to something before it starts. And in the history of the United States, you know, you can go back and look over a lot of prevention efforts in our country. And, you know, we've evolved quite a bit in the prevention field. So some people listening to the podcast may remember, you know, the whole this is your brain on drugs and the frying oh, yeah, pan. I that. Yeah. And we've come to learn that that's not the most effective way to, um, to prevent or to reduce young people from using right. substances. It was memorable, though. It was very memorable, <laughs> but not very efficient. Yeah. And there are better ways to do that using data and science to say, you know, here are some effective methods um, that are working. One of the pieces that I, you know, think is a highlight in substance misuse prevention, that kind of thing, is um, the whole tobacco rate decline. Mm-hmm. So back in the day, we were still telling young people, you know, smoking isn't good for you, smoking isn't good for you. But it's until some policies changed in our country right. that really we saw the rates of smoking decline. And from what I can recall, the whole policy change around smoking began with flight attendants in our country, where flight mm-hmm. attendants were, you know, having higher rates of lung cancer and breathing problems. And so they really wanted to make it so that smoking wasn't allowed on airplanes and from there that started a whole slew of places you know where you could say smoking isn't a great thing and now when I ask young people about smoking Mm. I'm not saying that young people don't smoke at all but there's this kind of attitude that that's gross or whatever but that's because a lot of laws and things like that have been passed in our country to help with that and one of the biggest things I get is parents will say or even people well-meaning people will say you know 
it's the parents' job to tell the kids what to do and what not to do when, you know, we don't need any laws around any of those things. But not every parent out there is going to do that. Not right. every parent out there. And I know that's obvious, but not every parent out there is going to do that. And um, when it comes to changing some of the laws around tobacco, making it so that young people have an easier time doing the right thing. Yeah. So some of the policies that we've enacted, it's like making sure that when they walk by that vending machine, there are healthier choices in there and that the unhealthy choice is, you know, down the hall. So you got to work a little harder for the unhealthy mm-hmm. choice. And that's actually really been proven to, to work in the long term. And we can see that by the tobacco rates significantly yeah. declining in, um, in our country. And it's, it's interesting how society mm-hmm. evolves with those policies. Like I remember when you could smoke in restaurants mm-hmm. and there was outrage when they were like changing the rules so that there was no longer a smoking section. And now you talk to young people and they find it shocking that there was ever a smoking section in a right. restaurant. Exactly. Because, you know, smoke doesn't stay in the smoking section. And, and so why would you have a smoking mm-hmm. section? Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting the way policy can change and society adapts and, and learns from that. So, so true. I remember uh, the other day one of my stepchildren. So at home right now, I still have a 19-year-old, a 17-year-old, and then I have 8-year-old and two-year-old and a seven-month-old, so a full house. But one of the teenagers was saying um, they were out with their friends and they saw a woman drive by with all the windows up and she was smoking with her kids in the car and they were just an outrage over how could that happen. And I, in my mind, I thought, yeah, that's terrible, but I also remember, you know, a day when that was common. You always saw people smoking and nobody would think anything of it. But we've really worked to change the culture. And I think this podcast will be able to bring in some people that are experts in the prevention field to mm-hmm. just say, here's, you know, here's some science evidence-based practices that you can do to take the funding that you have and make the most out of it, or even people who don't have funding right. to say, what can you and your community do that looks upstream to say there's specific things that are happening in your community or your organization mm-hmm. or your business even that cause people to react or people to do things the way they do them. Yeah, proven <clears throat> tips and techniques and tools <clears throat> to help you with your community. Exactly. Um, so not everybody's probably listening uh, and they're part of a coalition. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's probably some coalition members listening too, but uh, you want to go over what a coalition is since we are from the Avon Coalition for Every Student? Sure. So a coalition is a method that's used to prevent and address substance misuse. And it can also be used as a method to create change in an organization or business. And I can think of um, some businesses I've learned about where maybe they want to, you know, change a little bit of their method of how they do things. Mm -hmm. So they pull together some key influencers in that business or organization and really begin to go process through the the change that they're looking to create and educate those people, get input from those people, get buy-in from those people, um, and really work together to come up with 
you know, what we're going to do next and how we're going to go about that. Right. So it's really um, different than a program because a lot of the ways in the past to deal with um, prevention of substance misuse was to create some program that we're going to, you know, do with the kids and that's going to change everything. Would DARE be an example of exactly, that? Exactly, okay. yep. We're going to, and specific curriculum they had, but a coalition really is bringing all the different people that make up a community together in the same room or your organization. So for us, um, you know, bringing in the boards of health, bringing mm-hmm. in your town selectmen, bringing in your faith community leaders, your business leaders, bringing in youth to the table, bringing parents to the table, bringing uh, folks that have specific uh, substance uh, use disorder background, bring mm-hmm. all these various different people that make up a community to the table to say, you know, let's begin to look at data and find out exactly what is going on in our community. And let's begin to brainstorm and using uh, knowledge and as well, so not just winging it, but right. looking at some proven methods to say, these are the specific reasons why young people in our community are using alcohol and drugs, and here's some specific things that we can do to address it. I'll just kind of throw out a little plan, um, little idea that uh, involved our whole entire coalition. So our young people, we have a tennis court in our community, mm-hmm. and in our tennis court, it was all around the fence area, there was a lot of uh, a lot of trees, and it kind of made like the perfect hangout that you could go sneak in there and do something that wasn't the best use of your time. So we'd go in there and find whether it's alcohol bottles or you know needles, you name it, we'd find things in there. And the group that we put together, the coalition, they began to brainstorm like, what are some things that we can do that um, can address that. Now you could go in there every day and tell all those people, hey, don't do that. Um, and you would need to do that forever. Right. Or their other idea was to remove all the coverage from around the uh, tennis court, remove all the brush so that anyone driving by could see right in there, mm-hmm. making it less likely that somebody would want to do something sneaky in there. And that's not to say that the people who were doing that behavior now disappeared. But what it did do is for young people who knew that place existed, who walked by that every single day, it sent a message to them like, this is for tennis. This is not for anything else. And it also made them feel safe in their community to say like, wow, you know, they care about our ideas. You know, they're listening to us. We came up with this idea to remove the trees and grownups in the community Mm -hmm. actually did that for us. And it just was a great project for the whole group of folks to work on together to be able to create some, you know, lasting change. And yeah, you got to trim the trees every now and then, but mm-hmm. for the most part, it's really open right now. And uh, we haven't seen any more reports of, you know, illegal activity in that area. Right. And those tennis courts were across from the school and across from the library. So mm-hmm. just giving the kids another place where they can go that's, you know, for them to use and not for illegal use exactly. is, is another benefit for the community. Yep. And so like pulling that group of people together. And I've also seen this work in um, some organizations as well, you know, when they were looking to do something different, to pull out some of those key influencers and say, like, let me run these ideas by you and kind of test them out and Mm -hmm. see, you know, if we can do this and, you know, how can we influence those people to buy into the vision, if you would, before you just go do it. 
And I think in the coalition world, a lot of times, um, you know, even in the coalition prevention field, people who don't have the knowledge of how to do things, they'll come up with a great idea and just do it. Yeah. And they forget how much work you have to do in between actually doing something and coming up with the idea to really get buy-in. Because if you don't have buy-in to whatever it is that you're trying to do, um, the plan in the end gets, you know, can really get sabotaged. Mm-hmm. So if people are looking to start a coalition in their community, what are some tips that you would have for them? So the first thing I would say is really to have a clear mission and vision. Because if the people sitting around at your table don't know why it is that you're there, you know, you might assume that they know, um, but they might be having a whole different idea in their head. One of the coalitions mm. that I went to go visit, everyone sitting around at the table had a different kind of idea of why they were on the table yeah. and what the group was supposed to do. So really narrowing that down and saying, you know, our goal with our coalition is to prevent and reduce youth substance misuse. And, or our goal is to, you know, sell this product, or our goal is to, you know, provide a fund for families, whatever it is, but to put that specifically down and make sure that's really what you want to do. And that people around the table know that's what you're trying to do and agree to that. Also creating a clear vision. And, you know, for us, at first, we began to talk about, like, our, our vision is a community that doesn't have, have kids using drugs. And that's so out there. And many people have a vision that's just so elusive. It's not concrete. Yeah. And having a vision to say, like, you know, I want to build a house is much different than having the blueprint for the actual house mm-hmm. to say, I want to build a house. This is how I'm going to do it. This is what I'm going to do it with. I'm really creating a plan, a strategy for how you're going to accomplish your mission. And um, oftentimes people make the mistake of thinking that vision is just some kind of out there thing without putting you know, some clear, concrete things right. down to say this is specifically what we're going to do and when we're going to do it. Um, and that really helps bring people to the table yeah. who support what it is that you're going to do. And I've, I've seen that so many times where people will say, we have a vision to do such and such, but everyone's kind of in the dark to go, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So the more specific and clear your vision and your mission are, mm-hmm. the easier it's going to be for people to come to the table and buy in and, and join that mission and vision. Exactly. And for some resources, especially if you're in the prevention, uh, substance use prevention field, Um, There's a group out there called Community Anti-Drug Coalitions of America, CATCA, and they really um, have a specialty for helping coalitions and people who are starting up to know um, exactly what you should do first. They have some fantastic guides that I've read through on just about every topic you could think of in the coalition world. And I think they offer a membership for coalitions for it's really inexpensive it's like $300 for the year and you can call them you can contact them and get you know some technical assistance for your group specifically to get great ideas about what it is that you can do with different topics um, you know creating some internal structure for your coalition how to create a plan how to even create a mission statement or how to you know define what your vision is that kind of thing and um, we can also put some of these in the show notes. Yeah. So if people are listening and they're 
driving or whatever, and they can't write that information down. But um, there's also a group out there called the, um, they have something called the Community Toolbox. And that I stumbled across using good old Google. And um, that's a fantastic resource too. And it's not really tailored just towards uh, substance misuse um, and stuff. It, it's kind of tailored just to coalitions in general. So, you know, coalitions can be used to change a law or can be used for, like I said, your agency or your business. Mm -hmm. And they really do a great job at providing an awful lot of tools to be able to go about it that way as well. Yeah. So you mentioned this show notes and we're going to have show notes uh, posted uh, for all of our podcasts. But if you want a recap or a, a summary of what we talked about, as well as any links to that we've mentioned those will be in the show notes, so you can check that out. Uh, anything else you wanted to say for our first podcast? Yeah, I was thinking I'd include in the show notes, too, um, our co our coalition's website. In yeah, case folks wanted to know a little bit about, you know, our little teeny community, uh, we have 4,000 about residents in this community and a really small little school, and, um, you know, but we're doing some fantastic things, mm -hmm. and... Uh, one of my favorite things about this coalition is it's real youth-driven focus, and I know that's going to be an episode that we're going to talk about in the future, just about getting youth involved in creating community-level change, and I'm excited about that. But if people want to check out you know, specifically our coalition and what we're doing, they can do that too. All right. Well, that sounds good. Uh, thanks for starting this podcast, and thanks for being the first guest, sort of. Yes, we're excited to hear response back if you the listener you know want to email us or tweet us or anything like that we'd love to hear back from you guys as well and that information will be in the show notes as well all right thanks everybody for listening for more information from today's podcast check out our show notes there you can find our contact information social media and website please get in touch with us if you have any comments or questions and if you like today's podcast Please share it with your friends. Thanks for listening.